Our Babylon may be different than Daniel's Babylon, but we're living in Babylon nevertheless. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and hold it up right now, and let's repeat our affirmation about God's Word. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end. And truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6 this morning. I dare say that regardless of what your knowledge is of the Old Testament... There are some stories that you're familiar with. You may not know all the background to the story. You may not know all the truths that the story teaches. But there are some stories that you at least know a little bit about. For instance, Noah and the flood. If you know the story, Noah and the flood, raise your hand. You know that story, most of you. Okay, what about, what about the Tower of Babel? If you know that story, raise your hand. All right, okay. What about the story of David and Goliath? You know that story? Right. And then we talked about this one several weeks ago. What about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? You know about that story? Well, the story we're going to talk about today is one of those stories that, that regardless of whether you go to church or you hardly have ever gone to church, you probably know something about this story. It's the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Now let me give you a little bit of background, tell you the story, and then I want to share with you some truths from the story. Now I want to remind you that the end of Daniel chapter 5, the great Babylonian empire has fallen. The Medes and the Persians are now in control of the world. They are the world power. And Darius the Mede is ruling in Babylon. 
And one of the first things he does is he divides Babylon into 120 provinces and he puts an administrator in charge of each of those provinces. And then he chooses three men who will be over all of those administrators. And one of those three men that Darius chose was Daniel the Jew. Now, I want to remind you that at this stage in Daniel's life, he is over 80 years old. And yet, he is still being used by God in a mighty way. Some of us have this idea that when we get to a certain age, we're to sit back and retire and let younger people take over. But the Bible never teaches that. The Bible tells us that as long as there is breath in our lungs, as long as we have the ability to serve, we need to use the abilities that God has given us for his glory. Michelangelo, he painted the last judgment when he was 89 years old. Thomas Edison was still coming out with patents that he had invented when he was 90 years old. And Fulgius Singh ran a marathon in five hours and 40 minutes when he was 92 years old. I couldn't do that when I was 20 years old. He had carried the Olympic torch when he was 101 years old. And so don't let your age be an excuse for you to sit back on the sidelines. If God has given you gifts and abilities, continue to use those for the glory of God. And so because Daniel was such a gifted man, even at age 80, Darius had determined that he was going to put Daniel in charge of all of Babylon. Now, as you can imagine, this made the other administrators, especially those who were from Mede and Persian descent, it made them very jealous and very envious. And so they determined that they were going to take Daniel out. They were going to do whatever they could to, to take Daniel out. So they tried to dig up dirt on Daniel, but there was no dirt to be found because Daniel was a man of impeccable character. He was a hard worker. They couldn't find any dirt on him to condemn him. So they decided that the only thing they could do was use his faith in God against him. And so they went to Darius the Mede, who was a proud man, and they said, King Darius, we believe that you should issue a law that no one can pray to anyone, either divine or human, for 30 days except to you. Now that sounded pretty good to Darius. He felt like that was a good law. So he passed the law. And in the Mede and Persian Empire, once a law was passed, it was an irrevocable law. And so the law was passed that you couldn't pray to anyone but, but to Darius the king. And if you did, you would be thrown into the lion's den. Well, Daniel was a man of faith. Daniel was a man of prayer. So when this law was passed, he didn't stop praying. He didn't pray in secret. No, he continued to pray like he always had prayed before, three times a day. He would go to the room in his house the window would be open, he was faced toward Jerusalem, and he would pray to God. Well, those men who were trying to take him down, who were trying to condemn him, saw him. They turned him into the king. And even though Darius loved Daniel, the law was irrevocable. 
So he had to throw Daniel into the lion's den. All night long, King Darius couldn't sleep because he loved Daniel and he was concerned about Daniel. And so early the next morning, he went to the lion's den. There was a, there was a stone over the lion's den and he cried out, Daniel, servant of the Most High God, has your God saved you? Daniel cried back, yes, my king. God sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions. Well, they took the stone off the lion's den. They lifted Daniel up. They threw those men who had condemned Daniel, who had accused Daniel, and their families into the lion's den. And the Bible says that before they even hit the ground, the lions tore them apart. Now, there are five truths I want us to see this morning from this story. We're going to focus primarily on number three because that's the one I really want you to apply. But there's five truths we see. Here's truth number one. Remain faithful where you are and God will elevate you to where he wants you to be. Let me say that again. You remain faithful where you are and God will elevate you to where he wants you to be. Listen to what it says in verses 1 through 3. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. And he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two other administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Now isn't it interesting that Daniel who was a Jew who came to Babylon as a slave was elevated to a position of leadership under a Babylonian king, a Mede king, and a Persian king. Daniel who was a Jew was elevated to this great authority in spite of serving under pagan kings. He served these pagan kings, yet because of his attitude, because of his character, and because of his ability, he was elevated to positions of leadership. Now understand, Daniel always spoke truth to the king. But Daniel was always respectful to the king. Now why? Why was Daniel elevated? I believe there are two reasons. First and foremost, it's because of God's providential control. Understand, God is on the throne of human history. God is the one who is moving the pieces of human history to accomplish his purpose. And that means even today, as we look at the things that are going on in our world, many things that we do not understand, many things that we can't explain, we need to understand that God is in control. Now, don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean that everything that happens is, is part of God's perfect will. But it does mean that everything that happens is used by God to accomplish his perfect will. Let me give you an example from another scripture. This week I was reading in my devotional reading in Daniel or Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah 18 verses 7 through 10 it says this. Listen to this passage. This is God. God says, if I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, but that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I planned. Did you hear that? 
God says, if I have determined that I am going to destroy a nation because they are evil, and yet they repent of their evil ways, I will not destroy them. And then God says this, and if I announce that I will plant and build up a certain nation or kingdom, but then that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me, I will not bless it as I said I would. You see, the Bible teaches very clearly that God is sovereign. God is in control. And yet, at the same time, it is evident that our actions and our responses to him affect his actions and his responses to us. And so God is sovereign. God is moving the pieces of human history to accomplish his purpose. And he will put the people in power that he needs in power to accomplish his purpose. And so you need to understand, don't fret, don't worry, don't get concerned when it looks like things are spiraling out of control. Because our God is still in control. But here's the key. If it's your desire to be used by God in his sovereign plan, if you want God to elevate you to a position where you can be a difference maker in the world, then you must remain faithful where you are. We see this throughout Scripture. We see this with Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was falsely accused of rape by his master's wife. He was thrown into prison. And yet through all of that, God elevated him to a position where he was second in command in all of Egypt. Why? Because he was faithful wherever he was. We see this with Nehemiah. Nehemiah was most likely born into slavery. He became a cupbearer to the king, King Artaxerxes. And because of this relationship, God was able to use Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And we certainly see this with Daniel. Daniel was a teenager when he was taken into slavery in Babylon. But because he was faithful from beginning to end, God always elevated him to the position that he needed to be in. Daniel never promoted himself. Daniel never created a brand. Daniel just remained faithful. In the next couple of verses, verses 4 and 5, we see that Daniel was faithful. He was responsible. He was trustworthy. Listen, you may be in a position right now that you absolutely hate. But I would simply tell you to remain faithful. Do your job, work hard, honor God, and if you do that, God will honor you and he will elevate you to where you need to be. Here's the second truth. All you have to do to make enemies is faithfully serve the Lord. Amen? I mean, all you need to do to make enemies is just faithfully serve the Lord. Listen to what it says in verses 4 and 5. Then the other administrators, high officers, began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Understand, jealousy and envy are part of this fleshly nature. When God elevates you, when God blesses you, 
there are going to be other people who are jealous and envious of those blessings. And what they will do is try to take you down. The Bible says that these administrators did everything to collect dirt to condemn Daniel, but they could find nothing. And the reason is because his attitude was above reproach. His words could not be used against him. He worked hard. And so they determined the only thing that they could accuse Daniel of was his faith in God. I want you to listen. We need to live in such a way that the only grounds that people can bring against us when they try to accuse us of something is our walk and witness with our Lord. And we need to live in such a way that our walk and our witness is so exemplary that when they accuse us in that regard, there will be plenty of grounds to accuse us. Amen? I mean, that's what Daniel did here. Whenever you seek to remain faithful to God and serve Him with all of your heart, you're going to make enemies. By the way, don't worry about your enemies. Too often when our enemies come, we want to fight them. I think that's our human nature, isn't it? Don't worry about your enemies. God will take care of your enemies. Here's the third truth. And this is the one where I, I really want you to learn some things. The spiritual habits that you develop when things are easy will see you through when things are tough. Let me say that again. The spiritual habits that you develop when things are easy will see you through when things are tough. Listen to what it says in verses 10 and 11. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he, he went home, knelt down as usual. Did you get that? He went down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day just as he had always done. Giving thanks to God. And then the officials went together to Daniel's home, found him praying and asking for God's help. Now notice what it says. He went to pray as usual. He went to pray as he had always done. Another translation says he went to pray as was his custom. When Daniel heard that this law had been passed, Daniel didn't change his habits. You see, Daniel didn't pray for show. He prayed because it was as much a part of his life as breathing was a part of his life. This wasn't something that he decided to do to make a statement. But rather it was something that he was already doing that gave him courage to remain faithful in spite of this unjust law. And you see, that's what spiritual habits, that's what spiritual disciplines do for us. You see, a spiritual discipline, a spiritual habit that is formed and is practiced faithfully will accomplish in you what you will never be able to accomplish by yourself. A spiritual discipline that you have developed will allow God to accomplish things in you that you will never be able to accomplish on your own. John Ortberg, who is a great Christian writer, tells a story, I think, that, that 
that helps us understand. He said, suppose you're, you're sitting at home one day and you're eating your Twinkies in your recliner, channel surfing the TV, when there's a knock on the door. And it's the United States Olympic Committee. And they come into your house and they said, we've done research and analysis and of all the 200 million people who can, um, who can participate in the Olympics from America, we have decided that you are the one who can bring home the gold medal in the marathon. You're it. We've studied you. We've researched you. You are the one who can bring home the gold medal. Well, you're shocked. You're in awe. You're surprised. But you're excited. But then it dawns on you. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm sitting in my recliner, channel surfing, eating Twinkies. I mean, I can't even run around the block right now, much less run a marathon and, and win a gold medal. I mean, if I'm going to do what I've been chosen to do, there are some habits that I need to form in my life that are going to make this happen. And then he says this. He says, spiritual transformation isn't a matter of trying harder. It's a matter of training wisely. You see, spiritual habits in our life aren't an end in themselves. Spiritual habits that are developed in our life are a means to an end. And that end is Christ-likeness. We don't form spiritual habits so that, that we will please God and honor God we form spiritual habits because our spiritual habits help us get to the end result, which is to be more like Jesus. And you need to understand that you are never going to make it in life through the difficult times without spiritual habits. The Bible gives us a number of habits that we need to develop. I want to give you five. The first one is prayer. That's the one we see in this passage. David, excuse me, Daniel prayed three times a day toward Jerusalem with his window open. Prayer was a habit. In Romans chapter 12, verse 12, the Phillips translation says this. It says, base your happiness on your hope in Christ. When trials come, endure them patiently, steadfastly maintain the habit of prayer. When trials come, when struggles come, the way that you're going to maintain happiness and peace is how? By maintaining the habit of prayer. Listen, if you are not praying consistently as a habit, you're not going to make it when the tough times come. We need to pray as we go. The Bible says pray without ceasing. We pray when we're in our car. Some of you do a lot of praying when you see some people drive. I mean, we pray as we go. We pray as we're at work. We pray as we're going through life. We pray without ceasing. But then there are seasons of prayer. We have times when we go to our prayer closet and we lift up our request to God. Now, why do we pray? We pray because our prayers show our dependence on God. Prayer shows that we need God. We can't do it on our own. Prayerlessness is an act of pride. 
When you go through your life without consistently praying, what you're saying to God is, God, I don't need you. I can handle this. And I'm here to tell you, you may think you can, but you can't. You need to pray every single day. And then add to that another component that the Bible adds to prayer, and that's fasting. Fasting is like prayer supercharged. That's what fasting is. Fasting isn't a way to lose weight. Fasting isn't a way to get in shape. Fasting is a discipline that we add to prayer where we're going without eating because our prayers are so important that we're willing to give up food for the sake of bringing our request to God. Sometimes there are things in life that are so important that we are willing to just give up food and go to God because we need a word from Him. Listen, you need to develop the habit of prayer. The second habit is time in God's Word. James 1.25 says, The one who looks steadily at God's perfect law makes that a habit, not listening and then forgetting, but actively put it into practice, will be happy in all that he does. If we believe the Bible is God's Word, and we're not systematically reading it as a habit, we don't have any sense. Did you hear me? If we believe that the Bible is God's Word, it's God's Word to us, and we're not systematically in it, reading it, devouring it, trying to discover its truths, then something is wrong with us. I'm here to tell you, you're never going to grow in your Christian life if you're not systematically in the Word of God. But you can systematically read the Word and still not grow. The question is, why are you reading it? Are you reading it just for information? Information's good. But we need to be reading it for application. How does the truth that this passage reveals apply to me? How, how is it going to change the way I live? How is it going to change the way I act, my attitudes, my, my habits? How is it going to change the way I, I, I treat other people? You see, the Word of God is given to us, not just to point us to Jesus, that's first and foremost, but it's given to us to transform our lives. The Word of God is quick and sharper and powerful than a two-edged sword. It's able to cut deep within and change us at the very core of who we are. We need to systematically get into God's Word. And then a third habit we need to develop is giving. I know we don't like to talk about giving a lot, and praise God, many of you are faithful in giving, but giving is a spiritual habit that God gives us. In the book of Deuteronomy, it says the purpose of tithing, giving a tenth of your income, is to teach you to always put God first. God gives us this spiritual habit so that we will learn to put God first in our lives in every way. Now, in case you say, but that's Old Testament. New Testament, 
Matthew 23, Jesus said, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These religious leaders were tithing, but they didn't have mercy. They didn't have faith. They weren't treating people with justice. But then Jesus said this. He said, you should tithe. Yes. But don't neglect the more important things. You see, tithing isn't something that is a back burner thing. It's a front burner thing. But we don't tithe and then not do the things that, that putting God first in our life will cause us to do. The reason that we tithe is to stamp out materialism and covetousness in our life. The reason we give is to teach us to be generous people and to help other people to live the way Jesus teaches us to live. Giving is a habit. The third habit, gathering together with other believers. You're not going to grow in your faith unless you gather together with other believers on a regular basis. Some of you, some of you here, and, and I, 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 please keep coming, but, but, but some of you, you come once a month, once every six weeks, every other week, and you're proud of yourself for that. And I'm saying, great, good. Some of you online watching, you haven't been to church since COVID. My Lanta. What are you afraid of? If you're homebound, that's one thing. But if you're not homebound, get off your couch and your pajamas and gather together with other believers. Hebrews 10.25 says this, let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing. Instead, let us encourage one another all the more since the day of the Lord is coming nearer. The early church in the book of Acts, they didn't gather together weekly. The Bible says they gathered together every day in the temple courts and house to house. Every single day. They were gathering in the temple courts. Every single day they were gathering in one another's home for fellowship and prayer. Every single day. And once a week is a chore for us. It's a spiritual discipline. Sharing your faith. The psalmist says, each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Each and every day, tell someone what God has done. It's a habit. Each and every day, make it a habit. Someone said this. Ask God to give you the discipline to do. The things you want to love to do. Did you get that? Ask God to give you the discipline to do the things that you love to do. The spiritual habits that you develop during life are going to be the habits that see you through the difficult times of life. We need to develop them. Fourth, need to hurry here. God may not keep you out of the lion's den, but he will never leave you alone in the lion's den. We see that in Daniel chapter 6. 
I'm not going to read that passage to you, but you, you heard the story. I shared it with you. Daniel said that God sent an angel to protect me. Throughout Scripture, we see this. Time and time again, we see that God doesn't always keep us out of the fire, but he will be with us in the fire. Now, I want to make something very clear. That doesn't mean that you and I will have a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experience and not burn up. That doesn't mean that we won't be thrown in the lion's den and we won't be eaten up. But what it does mean is God's right there with us. And when our eyes are closed for good, our eyes will be opened with him. And what we have longed for and hoped for since we gave our life to Jesus, we will be experiencing. Understand, God never leaves you alone during the difficult days. He'll be with you. And then the final thing I want you to see in this passage is this. God will use our faithfulness to bring glory to his name. I want to read this. Verses 25 through 28. It says, Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. He will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lion. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This man that one day earlier said everyone should pray to and worship me is now saying all the kings of the world need to bow down and worship the God of Daniel. He is the one true God. He is the God who will reign forever. He is the God who will save. He is the God who will protect. You see, when you and I remain faithful, even in difficult times, God's name will be glorified. Someone said it this way. Sometimes our trials are trails pointing other people to Jesus. Did you hear that? Sometimes our trials... Or trails pointing other people to Jesus. Our obstacles are opportunities opening new doors for God's glory. The things that we face in life that are difficult and hard, God may be using them to bring someone who is far from the Lord into his family. We just need to remain faithful. So what's the takeaway today? Two things. First of all, if you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you today to make a commitment to spiritual habits in your life, to the habit of prayer, time in God's Word, giving, gathering with other believers, and sharing your faith. Make that a habit. I want you to take that Connect card. I want you to put those Five things down on that card. Put your name on it and say, I commit, if you commit. I just think there is something important about making commitments. I'm here to tell you, if you want to make it during the difficult days, you're going to have to develop habits that are going to see you through. Now, if you're not a believer in Christ yet, those habits won't do a thing for you. You aren't saved by developing habits. 
You're saved through the grace of God. There's nothing I can do and nothing you can do that would ever warrant us to deserve God's grace. But God gives it nevertheless. And all we have to do is humbly receive it and ask him to change us. And he will. And so if you're here and you've never humbled yourself to the God of Daniel, who revealed himself as the Jesus of the New Testament, then I want to ask you today to humble yourself to Jesus. Give him your life. Trust him to be your Savior. Let him change you. I want you to bow your head right now. Close your eyes. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, pray this prayer right now. Dear God, I humbly come to you today acknowledging I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. Today, I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving you my life. You are my Lord. From this moment on, Jesus, I want to follow you. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new. Amen. I'll keep your head bowed. And if you're here and you're Christ's follower, I want to ask you right now in the name of Jesus to make a commitment to develop these spiritual habits in your life. Habits that will see you through the days ahead. The habits that will help you become more effective in your walk and witness for Jesus. Just take a moment right now and make that commitment. Amen.